wonder if you guys have seen this video that's been uh, going around the internet for a while. Uh, it's a video of a magician visiting a zoo. Have you seen it? Has anybody seen this one? The magician goes to the zoo and he does this little sleight of hand trick for a baboon. And then you see the baboon's reaction. I want to I show it to you now in just a moment, but pay attention to the, to the baboon's face when he does this trick. Watch, watch what happens when he does the trick. Yeah. He's going to do it again. A little closer view this time. Look. Isn't that incredible? It's just, I love that video because I've seen that face before. I've, I've made that face before. You recognize that, right? You know, somebody tells you, you, you see a little sleight of hand trick, you see a little magic trick, and you're like, what happened? You know, that, the baboon is, is feeling the same way as you. Somebody tells you something incredible, and you, you just can't process it all. You can't get it in your head. And, and what, what happened? The baboon is mystified. It is perplexed. What happened? You've, you've made that same face. We approach Easter, and it sometimes seems like God's sleight of hand trick. You know, the... The resurrection kind of sounds like a shell game. You know, here, here's a body, you know, and then you, eh, which one? Yeah, well, nope, it's gone. You know, the, the body's gone. Where, where did it go? And, and we, we look at that and we think, well, some of us find faith. Some of us find hope. And, and other people see a trick. And, and some people even doubt that it's real. How do we approach this event, the, the resurrection? You know, the more I look at the texts in the Bible, the more I look at the Gospels, I don't think that we approach it any differently than those first witnesses did. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. If you're using the Bibles there in the pews, it's page 884, Luke 24, 1 through 12, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. It is the central event of our faith. It is the central event of human history, and yet as you read the accounts in the Gospels, no one was there. No one was there when it happened. No one stood inside the tomb and watched Jesus' body suddenly come to life. They only saw the after effects. And so we come to this event with questions, we come with curious minds, and like those first disciples, we come with doubts. Beginning there in verse 1, Luke writes, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were still perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still alive in Galilee, while He was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. 
But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. We read Luke's story here, and we don't see faith. We read Luke's story here and we see confusion. We don't hear the disciples declaring He lives. Rather, it is angels that declare that. What do the disciples declare? They declare their doubts. They declare their questions. Verse 11 says, they did not believe. 2,000 years later, and we've still got doubts. 2,000 years later, we've still got questions. And yet, (laughs) Easter rolls around and we come to church. Every year, we come and we sing the songs and we tell the stories and we hear about it over and over again. We come to the celebration. How do we make sense of ourselves? How do we make sense of that? I think we have to see ourselves in the disciples' reaction to the empty tomb. And I think we have to admit it's okay to have doubts. You know, this morning we gathered at, at the sunrise service. We sang songs about the resurrection. Steve, you preached an amazing message this morning, man. You did a wonderful job with that. And we declared, He is risen. Sunrise is part of our tradition. It goes all the way back to this story right here. It says there in verse 1, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They weren't going to worship. These women weren't going to worship. They weren't going to sing songs. They weren't going to say, He, he is risen. He is risen indeed. You know, they, they weren't going for that purpose. They were taking spices. They were going to take care of a dead body. They took spices and oils. They took deodorant is what they took. They were taking deodorants. They were going because dead bodies uh, stink after a few days, and then they continued to stink for quite a while after that. They were going to prepare His body so that when people came to visit the cemetery, they wouldn't be offended by the dead body of Jesus. That's why they were there. But Luke tells us in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Luke says they were perplexed. It looks like this. That was them. They were perplexed. They uh, they were at a loss to understand this. Kind of like the baboon in a video. You know, he doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know how this is possible. They, They are perplexed. They can't fit this into their heads. You've been perplexed, right? See, lately I feel like I'm more perplexed. I'm perplexed more often than I'm non-perplexed. I don't know. I'm perplexed at what the word would be for that. You know, we, we read the news. We watch the news. You're perplexed. ISIS. You know, you, you, you see what they, you know, the horrible bombing in Belgium. I, I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed about what that's about. I'm perplexed about what to do about that. I, I look at news about violence here in the United States. Violence in the cities. Racial violence. Violence even in our little communities. And, and I'm perplexed. I look at news of the election. Anybody else perplexed? Can't make heads or tails out of what all this is about. I'm I'm perplexed. I'm I'm more perplexed than than ever before. We're at a loss to explain what's going on. Where does all this come from? And at times, we just feel like we're not prepared to deal with these issues. That's where they were this morning. 
they were not prepared to deal with this. This is not what they had prepared for. They were prepared for a sealed tomb and a dead body decaying and stinking. There was no hope. There was no wondering, what if he survived? What if he's in there and he's still alive? Or what if he has raised from the dead? Those thoughts were beyond their comprehension and beyond their experience with death. Beyond ours as well. We'd have to admit that. We're, we're perplexed. We have, we have doubts about the resurrection also. Your experience and mine. The quick survey. How many resurrected bodies have you seen? If you've seen a resurrected body, no? No one? I'm talking about you know, near-death experiences or, or resuscitation. You know, a body that one day was a mangled corpse drained of blood and three days later is up walking around. We've never seen that. I got, it's confession time. Um, this past week, uh, my wife and I, uh, we binge-watched the second season of Daredevil on Netflix. That, that was our entertainment for this week. Does anyone else binge watch the second season of Daredevil? Yeah, look at that, a couple hands. You know, you do that, and, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and confess, Trish finished the entire season before I did, so she was faster at it than I was. But Daredevil, it's, it's a superhero story, right? And, and the, the hero, the main character, Daredevil, he is a devout Catholic, a very, very devout Catholic. And in the story, he is confronted that, with this new enemy that he has to face. This new enemy has somehow has power over life and death, has somehow achieved the power of immortality and can raise the dead. And Daredevil scoffs at that. And the person telling him this confronts him and says, I thought you were a Catholic. Doesn't your whole belief system hinge on one guy pulling that off? It does. That's why we're here today. It is the central truth of our faith. And yet, on that first morning, it seemed like nonsense. The women, including Mary, including Mary, they are frightened. And they go and tell the disciples. Verse 10 says, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. An idle tale. Complete and utter nonsense. And let's be honest, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're at a place where you wish you could believe, but you just can't convince yourself. And I'm here to tell you, that's okay. That's exactly where men like Peter and women like Mary were that first morning. The only thing I would tell you is don't let your doubts hold you back. Let them motivate you to investigate, to look into this mystery even more. Doubts do not have to stand in the way of faith. Doubts do not have to stand in the way of commitment. And if you're searching, look through your doubts and understand that God's plans are bigger than your doubts. We're told that today we are in a, living in an unprecedented time in history. We are living in a time where five generations are living at once. And that's never really happened in, in all of human history, all recorded history. Five generations at once. You know, in the, in the old days, you had grandma and grandpa, and you had the parents, and then you had the kids, and that was about it. We have five generations. How many of you have five generations in your family right now? Anyone? Yeah, look at these two. Yeah, yeah. They had to do the math in their head really quick. Yeah, we got five generations. We got five generations. That, that complicates things. 
It complicates things for churches because each one of those generations listens to different music. Each one of those generations has different expectations about what the churches do and, and, and how, we, how we handle things. You guys just make us miserable because of all your differences. You know? But five generations of people who look at truth differently, who have different biases, biases and have different views of the truth. You, you older generation, you, you builders, uh, the greatest generation. You know, that part of that amazing generation that did so much. Who do the builders trust? The builders trust experts. If your doctor says it, you do it, right? That's what you builders think. If four out of five dentists surveyed say I should do this, then I'm going to do that. Builders trust experts. And builders trust experts to the point that you drive your children, who are the boomers, nuts and the children, the boomer children, have to go to doctor's appointments with you because you won't do what? You won't ask questions. Because if the doctor says it, he's an expert and you should listen to him. You trust experts. You boomers, you don't trust experts. You were told a long time ago, don't trust anyone over 30. And then you hit 30. And then you just 40. You boomers, you don't trust experts. You trust therapists. You trust therapists and counselors and you move from facts to feelings. And how do you feel about this? And you'll, you trust your therapist. And then my generation comes along. Generation X. Who do we trust? We don't trust experts. We don't trust therapists. We trust coaches. Not sports coaches. Not athletic coaches. We trust life coaches. Let's actualize your potential, Brett. Let's talk about your dreams and your aspirations. That's who we trust. And then you've got millennials. Wave to me, millennials. Yeah, look at that. Who do they trust? Internet. <laughs> they trust Google. To the point that if a, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a builder gets a bad diagnosis from the doctor, they do what the doctor says. If a millennial gets a bad diagnosis they get on Google and they find out what they're going to really do about it and they find an answer that they, that they really like. So when we approach Jesus with five generations who look at five different versions of the truth, what do we do with it? How do we trust Jesus? And, and what do we do with the doubts that we have about Jesus? You know, Jesus, Jesus doesn't come to us as an expert. Jesus doesn't come to us as a therapist either. He doesn't come to us with, as a life coach. Jesus does not come to us as the internet. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus says, He says to Mary in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, even though he dies, yet he will live again. See, he takes it out of us and who we are and our perceptions. And he says, it's all about me. And if it's, if it's all about him, if it's all about Jesus, then that takes precedence over me because it's not about me. And if it's all about Jesus, then that takes precedence even over my doubts and the things that I can't understand about him. Women find an empty grave. They find two men clothed in lightning. It says. 
And they hear their words. And they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? And then they say in verse 6, He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And then verse 8 says, and then they remembered His words. They remembered His words. What words did they remember? You know, Luke chapter 9 is where we started this all off. And in Luke chapter 9, we're told that Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem. He decided then it was, it was time to start making that trip. Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus says, "...the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised." They remembered His words. Luke chapter 13, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today, tomorrow, and the third day I finish My course. Nevertheless, I must go on My way and tomorrow and the day following, for, I can, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. They remembered His words. Luke chapter 18, verses 31-33. Jesus said to His disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging Him, they will kill Him. And on the third day, He will rise. And then Luke goes on and says in verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what He said. Even here, in Luke 24, they remembered His words. It doesn't say they could explain it. It doesn't say they could explain what had happened. Just that they remembered. You can almost see the light going on in, in their heads. That's what He was talking about. That's, that's what He was talking about. But, but understand, they, they couldn't make sense. It, it didn't make sense prior to this event. Crucified and dead? Raised in three days? It had never happened before. The women went back and told his closest friend, men that he had spoken these words to, and it says that they did not believe the women because their words seemed like an idle tale. It sounded like nonsense. Now we know, we know there's more to the story than that. You know, there will soon be more to the story. Within hours, Jesus will walk in. They will see him. They will know that the story is true. But at this point, what do they understand? What do they understand here? Nothing. They simply remember His words. They don't understand His plan. <laughs> and you may not understand His plan for your life. They don't understand His purpose. And, and you may not understand exactly what God's purpose is in, in what you're going through. They don't understand why He went to the cross. It's more than they can comprehend. And it's more than they can understand on their own. And, and maybe that's where you are today. And that's okay. Because the, the question that you have to ask yourself is, can I trust Him in spite of my doubts. Can I trust Him in spite of those doubts? In spite of their doubts? In spite of Him telling these women that, or in spite of them telling these women that they're off their rocker? In spite of forgetting what He had told them over and over again that was going to happen? In spite of their lack of understanding, Peter went to the tomb. Peter had to go see for himself. Verse 
12 says, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He went home marveling. It's one of Luke's favorite words. He uses it nine times through the Gospel. You know, the very first time Luke uses that word marveling, he uses it in Luke chapter 2, telling the story of Jesus' birth. On, on the eighth day, Jesus was taken to Jerusalem to be circumcised and presented in the temple. And on the eighth day, they encounter Simeon in the temple, this old prophet. And Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms and he pronounces these blessings over him. He prophesies over him. And he pronounces this to be the Messiah. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 33, it says, His father and mother marveled at the things that had been said about him. Luke tells us later in later chapters that the crowds marveled at his teaching. Later on, the crowds marvel at his miracles. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 43, right there when Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, Luke says that the crowds marveled at everything he was doing. Did they understand it? Nope. Not at all. But they still marveled. There are a lot of things about the Christian faith I don't understand. There's a lot of things I, I don't understand. People come to me a lot of times, they come to me with questions. They come and ask all kinds of questions of me, you know, and, and they'll ask me stuff. And, and sometimes I've got, I say it's about a 50 50 shot, you know. Sometimes I've got an answer. And sometimes my answer is, I have no idea. But isn't it cool anyway? Yeah, I don't know why that happened, but it sure is cool. I don't know why that happened, but I marvel at it. Chances are I, I don't understand it, but I still marvel. I'm still amazed. I marvel. I marvel at God's love for me. I marvel at Christ's gift for me. I marvel at the empty tomb. And I marvel at a heart full of God's forgiveness. And you know, that's what it comes down to. That's what this story does for me and, and to me. Something no expert can do. Something no therapist can do. Something no life coach or even the internet can do for me. Something only Jesus has. The ability to forgive me of all my wrongs. The ability to cleanse me from everything that, that pollutes my life and to allow me to stand whole and forgiven before my God. And you can have that also. You can marvel in spite of your doubts. You know, you, you read through the Gospels. And you read through Acts. And you see the disciples under fire for their beliefs. You see them being persecuted. You see them being killed. You see them going through torture and in horrible times, you see them beaten and, and run out of their homes, persecuted by Jews and, and still in trouble with the Romans. And how did they respond? You know, not once, not once in the Gospels and not once in Acts do the disciples grab the Roman army or the Roman soldiers or the, the Jewish officials and take them back to that cemetery in Jerusalem. Not once do they go back to the cemetery and say, Look, his tomb is empty, there is no body here. He is risen. Never. They never once do that. Instead, they love each other. They care about each other. It says they spoke with boldness and they warned people. 
they lived their lives in such a way not to just say he is not there, but to say he is he is here. He is risen and and he is here. He is in me. There's a lot about the Easter story that perplexes me. And after all these years, some of it still sounds kind of like an idle tale sometimes. But mostly, mostly I marvel. I marvel that above all, above all my failings, above all my sin, and above all my doubts, God still loves me. And He, he loves you also. The message of Easter is that not just that God's love is, is bigger than your sin. It's not just that God's love is bigger than your failure and the mistakes that you've made, but that God's love is bigger than your doubts. It's bigger than your struggle to understand. So today, I, I can't show you an empty tomb. I can't show you where that is, although I believe there is an empty tomb. and I believe that tomb was empty that morning. But what I can show you is a room full of people who love each other. A room full of people who have been with each other through pain, through struggles, through surgeries, through trials, and through joys as well. People who know what it means to forgive and be forgiven. And people who are ready to show you the very same thing.